Hi there, and welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge, your hyper-local, progressive podcast centered in beautiful Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I'm Dan, and today in the studio, we're going to deliver on a promise that we made a couple of episodes ago and keep going on deep dive interviews, exploring the multifaceted activist groups in Bay Ridge. There are a lot of them. And today in the studio, we are going to be talking about the origins of Bay Ridge for Social Justice. Hey, my name is Yasmin. I have been living here in Bay Ridge for five years, been a socialist for close to 10, and I've been an activist with Bay Ridge for Social Justice since it started in 2015. I'm Sherry Wolf. I'm a lifelong socialist, uh, union organizer, and a resident of Bay Ridge for the last four or five years with my wife. And I'm one of the active members in Bay Ridge for Social Justice. My name is Danielle Bullock, and I've been living in Bay Ridge for about 14 years. And I've been organizing with Bay Ridge for Social Justice since its inception about five years ago. I'm trying to do some research, and most of the groups in the neighborhood, they all kind of started up because Trump happened. Bay Ridge for Social Justice is different. Bay Ridge for Social Justice was founded in late 2015 around incidents of Islamophobia in the community, brought on by a sort of general international Islamophobia that had been existing for a long, long time. So I think some folks had been meeting and sort of discussing things in the middle of 2015. In late 2015, there were the attacks on the Charlie Hebdo site in France. Mm. Perhaps for listeners who don't remember this, it's a French comic publication that was infamous for producing cartoons and jokes that were horrendously Islamophobic. And it's important to sort of see that in the context of just like a rise of Islamophobia across Europe and Islamophobic attacks as well as Islamophobic legislation going through in France. So the publication was targeted by a mass shooter innocent folks died, and it was a horrible incident. To add to the violence of that situation, the response was a spread of Islamophobic rhetoric and Islamophobic actions that took place across Europe and the United States. Muslims not being welcomed in places like Europe, Muslims being a threat to basic concepts of freedom of speech, which was like the position that a lot of folks took to sort of deride Islam as a religion in general. And the backlash was really super powerful and led to violence being perpetrated against Muslim folks. And there was a spread of Islamophobia in the U.S. It wasn't new to the U.S. at all. And so we were following a lot of that. And there were several incidences in the neighborhood where folks were targeted, harassed on the street, physically attacked. That's aside from the verbal and online harassment that folks were experiencing. And that's just locally and in the city. So across the country, it was much worse. And so we got together to discuss that. At the same time, there was the Donald Trump candidacy, which folks were not at that point taking incredibly seriously, but folks were recognizing that it was a sign of very bad things happening in this country, a right wing and racist shift politically. So folks were discussing that. And so we got together and sort of officially formed in December after having had multiple meetings, if I'm remembering correctly, kind of like discussing all this stuff and figuring out what we need to do. Where were each of you guys at that turning point? It was a momentous year for all of us, I think, in some ways, because we were meeting other like-minded people in the community who wanted to discuss these things. I had been politically active a lot earlier in my life, 
and then <laughs> went astray <laughs> and I became a mother and I had two children and had been closely following things like the Arab Spring and yeah. Occupy Wall Street, but wasn't really involved or central to those. But I was following those movements really closely. So like for me, politics and social movements were forefront in my mind. And I know there was an event where I had met Linda Sarsour for the first time when they were partnering with the Take on Hate campaign. And that was where also mm. I also met David Farley, who was also a founding member of Bay Ridge for Social Justice. I was kind of learning about the dynamics of what was happening in the community and had met with people at Arab American Association talking about how white neighbors in Bay Ridge could support the Arab American community politically, socially, you know, in a lot of different ways. I found a real home in like talking about these type of political issues, you know, with other people in the community where, you know, when I first moved to Bay Ridge in 20, oh my God, that would have been 14 years ago. So I don't know the year, mm -hmm. but when I first moved, I was told, oh, my God, you don't want to live in Bay Ridge. Mm. It's a hotbed of Republican conservatism, and you don't want to be there. It's like, what are you going to do? It's like a wasteland for, it's, there's no liberals there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I found that I was pleasantly surprised to find that there were people here that I could learn from in terms of radical politics, but also um, work with and camaraderie to like really develop something here that would counteract mm. conservative politics, you know? Yeah. For me, it opened me to a whole new area of my life, which had been like in existence. And Sherry and I were kind of walking in the same circles back in the <laughs> 90s, I think, though we never met. Well, I've been an organized socialist since the early 80s, since I was 18 in the International Socialist Organization. So I've known Yasmin since Occupy, pretty much mm -hmm. since 2011. And I did spend quite a bit of time at Zuccotti and Yasmin did as well. And we got to know each other and became comrades in the ISO in that period of time over those years in the early, what is it even, what do we call this? <laughs> I don't even know, the 2010s, the, I, I don't know. Yeah, the, the first it has the to be aughts. the 10s, Is there right? a name? Um, help me, Google. I'm glad that we're in the 20s now. We're and in it's the 20s now, we can say something. Um, <laughs> we're flappers again. Um, so I've known, <laughs> and Yasmin and I have been very close collaborators around like the Egyptian revolution, Yasmin, what it's worth, is Egyptian American. And we were very active as socialists in solidarity struggles since Occupy with the revolution and against the repression of the revolutionaries after the downfall of Mubarak, and then organizing in solidarity with the Syrian revolutionaries. And we were just very much in constant collaboration with each other. And so when my wife and I began to look for a place to live. And around 2015, Bay Ridge was kind of on our radar for the first time. She is African-American. I obviously wear bikes. And I work in Jersey, so the bridge being nearby was that. But the idea that we wouldn't be lefties on an island became immediately an appealing potential for me, for Bay Ridge as a place that I might move. And with Yasmin, who pulled me in and had introduced me to Danielle and to Dave Farley and Alan Aha and you and Mary and other, all the others. And frankly, going to the Owl's Head. Um, <laughs> I had never, I've, I've lived yeah. in New York my Plug whole life and I've, I've never lived in a neighborhood where they were like 
I, I feel like I'm living behind enemy lines. It creates <laughs> a need for the left to organize yeah. because there's a hardened right here as well and a cop element that's palpable, that's visible, and who wear their racism, not just the cops, but a certain element of white ridgers. I mean, look, there are Trump signs giving an organized direction to a sentiment that we sensed was there became both possible and urgently needed. Yeah, I mean, so I had been in Barrage for a shorter period of time than a lot of the folks who were part of organizing this group, but I had been sort of had a connection to Barrage for as long as I've been in the U.S. since I was 13 years old, because it's where Arab American folks are. And so since I immigrated to the U.S., my family had been sort of coming back and forth to Barrage from other parts of South Brooklyn when we needed like the right Arabic foods and when we needed to connect with folks who are part of the Middle Eastern diaspora in New York. And so I had sort of been familiar with the neighborhood and I mostly knew the neighborhood as an immigrant neighborhood, much more than I did as a bastion of right-wing politics and racist ideology. And I didn't really think of it as a white neighborhood because I saw a very particular part of Mm. this neighborhood. But having moved here, eventually I sort of started seeing all these other elements, which were similar to other parts of South Brooklyn that I had been part of. I was really politicized already and had been organizing for some time. But I think I was really excited by the prospect of trying to work on a local level around addressing sort of the manifestation of these international phenomena. So what were some of the first meetings like? A bunch of like experienced activists and organizers suddenly shifting their gaze down to the neighborhood level. I mean, it did feel really different to me, certainly. I had been really used to being part of local entities that were organizing around national and international issues. And so it did feel really different in that way, that it was very neighborhood specific, that we were trying to sort of engage around issues where there was quite a bit of controversy in in the neighborhood. So there was a lot of debates in the room at first about language. How do we avoid antagonizing certain folks? There were debates about how confrontational we want language Mm. to be. There were debates about who we wanted to reach. There were debates about what it means to challenge racism and Islamophobia. There were debates about engagement with politicians, which is sort of Mm -hmm. the primary avenue of political activism in the neighborhood, typically. Yeah, Uh, to this day. And many of us who were in the room felt really suspicious of the motivations of politicians who took Mm -hmm. up these issues in rhetoric, but did not reflect them in policy. And on their watch, these racist and unsafe realities for Muslim folks came into existence. There were lots of debates about these things. And then when we started talking about Martin Luther King Day being something that we could focus on, Mm. um, this was like in December, we were like, let's discuss the sort of radical legacy of Martin Luther King's politics, and let's have an event that's anti-racist and that's Mm -hmm. anti-militarist. And let's Mm -hmm. make the argument to the Barrage community in Brooklyn at large that there's a relationship between Islamophobia and militarism and the war on terror and so on. And there is a role that we have to play as a community in reclaiming the legacy of Martin Luther King's politics and bringing back to life those kinds of arguments and genuinely challenging these things to beyond the borders of our neighborhood, which Hmm. we seem to. Yeah, and we're not engaging politicians in that. We have never done that. As Yasmin said, suspicion is a real good word for that because we've always been Mm -hmm. suspicious 
of the politicians' motivations, and they turn on a dime. From the very beginning, it was never going to be a platform for politicians to sort of grandstand or... Although they all came through they the meetings, do. didn't they? They do. They used to come to meetings, but they sort of dropped off slowly after mm-hmm. realizing that they weren't <laughs> going to be given a platform in those spaces. Right. And rightly so, because this is a movement about us. It's not a movement about them. It's a movement about people and communities and neighbors and safe spaces and radical politics. I think we have good reason to be suspicious. Exhibit A, Max Rose. Let's mm. all look at the massive disappointment that he has been. <laughs> Not that folks had really high hopes of progressive mm-hmm. politics, but this is a person who has been complicit in funding the kind of policies that happen on the border, the Department of Homeland Security, without conditions, when they have already demonstrated that they mm-hmm. are murdering children and migrants through negligence. But that's just the first example. He failed to vote for legislation that would limit Donald Trump's ability to go to war with Iran just recently. And this is a person who campaigned talking about fighting hate and, of course, a bunch of bullshit about, like, seeing across the aisle, which is naive. Someone who we knew to some extent with this point, but has taken up the concerns of folks in this community around racism and has implemented them in the most superficial way into his campaign. And folks were so desperate to finally turn this district to blue and voted for him, mm. and he has proven to be hardly different. Yeah. Um, so I, I point that out because we have good reason to be suspicious. But beyond that, and I think really importantly to what we were trying to do when we were starting, we were trying to make an argument for what works, what mm. wins. This is a different moment in electoral politics, I would argue, and, and there are some promising folks out there. I would point to AOC, to Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib. We can't say the same thing about every single politician, but... We were arguing that grassroots, community-based organizing Mm -hmm. that actually activates, mobilizes, and organizes folks in communities has a far greater impact and a far greater capacity to challenge the status quo than just voting for someone. So it wasn't just a principled antagonism to politicians Mm -hmm. in general. It was in favor of organized grassroots activism and organizing, and we continue to emphasize that. Which was apparent in your first action as a group, the Martin Luther King Jr. March Against Hate. In 2016, a full year before Trump's election, jolted so many people awake electorally. That first march was a revelation to all of us because Mm -hmm. we didn't have any idea of exactly how many people we would see out in the street that day. And it has increased year by year Mm -hmm. where the first year maybe we had 150 people Mm -hmm. and then the second year we had 250 people. Mm -hmm. And by the time that it reached its peak, we would have almost 500 people in the street with us marching up Fifth Avenue, chanting in English, chanting in Arabic, Mm -hmm. saying no to Islamophobia, saying no to hate in all forms in the community. And after, for example, the Pulse shooting, bringing Mm. people together to talk Mm. about the intersection between the oppression of queer people and the oppression of Muslims in the world and how those things can be pitted against one another to divide us. And instead of dividing us, let's say, hey, you know what? My oppression's tied up with your oppression, as Linda has often famously said, you know, quoting an Aboriginal activist. We need to see where the oppression is coming from and then to find the way to connect with other people and break down the dividing barriers that they try to put up for us, right? So the right will always say, you know, they're oppressing women in those countries and that's a reason why we should be dropping bombs on them because we're giving freedom to women in the Middle East. But that's a lot of bullshit, isn't it? Because it's just a story. And I think Yasmin can talk more to that and how that relates to us in the community. 
I remember leafleting at yes. Bay Ridge Avenue. Yes, we did that. I remember leafleting at the subway in the morning to go early before work. What struck me was the number of women with small children, mostly immigrant women, both Muslim women and Latina, I would say were the predominant women who stopped to talk to me about it. Now, I'm not new to organizing. I'm not new to leafleting. I'm not new to tabling. I'm not new to talking with strangers. I feel like I've spent 37 years of my life talking to strangers. That's what I do. But I've never done it in the neighborhoody way, to be yeah. honest. People seemed both surprised, relieved, and encouraged. Mm -hmm. Surprised that there were human beings literally in 2000, whatever, <laughs> you know, teens, standing out there leafleting and then having a conversation in a patient and, and welcoming way. And then encouraged that other people with me, both white and Muslim, were also doing it. And they were like, okay, that's new. It's something that people remarked on and felt good about. I felt like a number of people walking, <laughs> grabbing a flyer. And then you got some people who are toxic. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was an education in itself as well. But it felt like, to be honest, they were on the back foot, especially given that it's rush hour and mouthing off at me was not um, the first. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm damn near six feet. I'll take you down. <laughs> um, but, but I mean, I've been involved in organizing for a lot of years, and I think the explosion of hundreds of people into churches on a weekly basis in the immediate aftermath of Trump's election around a call to oppose racism, to oppose immigrant bashing, to defend our Arab and Muslim neighbors, and to come together to organize. It was electric. It was exciting. It was difficult to navigate. Just to give you a very micro example, I live in the neighborhood. I go to the gym above the freaking, you know, McDonald's, um, <laughs> you know, at uh, 72nd and 3rd. I'm hanging up my coat in the morning right after the first meeting, which was 400 people or something. At one yeah. of the, I mean, it was huge. And I hang up my coat and I see somebody's got like a union button or maybe it was something from the Women's March. I don't remember exactly. Yeah. Mm. But I immediately put, slipped a flyer for the next meeting into her coat. She came to the next meeting. <laughs> she and I have been comrades ever since, Maggie. And she's a teacher and just was like, thank you so much for finding. And I was doing that. And other people were too. Yes. And we're finding people to come around by just literally like, hi, you look like you're <laughs> pissed off and you're progressing. You want to do something. I know you're getting like a half a pound of ham here right now at Anthony's, but you know, <laughs> do you want to come to the meeting? And people would. And that defines a certain time as not just sort of opposed to Trump, but explicitly trying to give an organized expression to opposition to racism and Islamophobia and to do something about it, not just feel bad or be angry or scream at the internet. And that has continued to be our calling card. We want to do something about what people are enraged over. And that resonated, right? The second MLK march was right after the inauguration of Trump, which then led to a huge general meeting at the Union Church on Ridge Boulevard. When we had that march on Martin Luther King Day, we flyered for meetings, which is why we ended up with several hundred people <laughs> at a meeting. It was one of the most exciting moments in my time organizing ever, because these were local people mm -hmm. who just showed up, 400, 500 right. people from Barrage who were ready to organize and get involved and fight Donald Trump and everything that he represents and everything that's yeah. made him a reality. It was a super inspiring and exciting moment. 
Another super inspiring, exciting moment for me was in the aftermath of the Orlando shooting, mm-hmm. which was a really powerful example as to how homophobia was not that in this country. We were not living in a post-racial world. We are also not living in like a queer society. Um, mm-hmm. That's right. But also the person who committed this crime was a Muslim man. And everybody wanted to explain it in the most Islamophobic right. terms, as yeah. opposed to like, it's a gun attack in a country where those happen like every other day. And it was a homophobic attack. It was motivated by that. And we wanted to do something in response in the community. And it was June of 2016. Mm-hmm. I'm a queer Muslim person, so navigating this neighborhood is complicated to me on a bunch of different levels, right? And we wanted to organize the event to have a discussion that welcomed every single section of the neighborhood. We had a pretty diverse turnout. Mm -hmm. We had a discussion that was difficult and emotional. Many of us were folks in the queer community, but that was unlike any other that happened because the way that it was trying to engage in a community that deals with both Islamophobia and homophobia. And it was a discussion we're told can't happen and won't happen. That's yeah. right. I was, it was just thinking that too. and queers. I mean, I'm That's sorry. Right. This, yeah. is this is not a conversation yes. happening in a, in a yes. public and, and collective way. And here, yes. this was what it was. I mean, this is what we created. And, and I have a deep pride over that. I really credit the vision that Yasmin in particular and Danielle and was a bigger crew of people than are just sitting here talking today. Mm-hmm. And... People understood that if we do not build a united front that is multi-ethnic and that is not just sort of brochure multi-ethnic, it's not supposed to look right, but that actually in its gut, in its soul, sees solidarity as its breath. Nazi posters go up in the neighborhood and within 48 hours, there's hundreds of people responding. This is a legacy and an aspect Mm -hmm. of what Bay Ridge for Social Justice created by having principles and by creating community and collective organizing across racial and ethnic lines that don't ordinarily happen in this city, even in many of the so-called most progressive and left-wing neighborhoods. It's been intentional. Let's not fool ourselves. This does not happen without concerted, organized, and intentional approach to try and bring people together over a period of time. We're neighbors. We're here for each other conversations begun over years. Mm -hmm. That's how you get 350 people responding immediately to Nazi flyers. Mm -hmm. That doesn't happen by just a Facebook post. That's also to do with coordination between Mm -hmm. people who are primary in Fightback Bay Ridge and South Oakland Progressive and people really beginning to get the groove of organizing between organizations, which has been kind of hard for us, I think, in some ways. We all have a different approach to the way we act, but I think that comes from having all different kinds of levels of politics in different Mm -hmm. groups and bringing people together that way. The thing that I'm thinking a lot about in all these different events that we'd planned that first MLK march beyond pride in reaction to the Orlando shooting, we were taking huge risks because we really never knew, I think, at any one point how many people we would bring out. And I think Mm -hmm. the most guaranteed... But though shocking and all the same was the first meeting that Bay Ridge for Social Justice held at the Union Church post-election in 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We kind of anticipated a large right. turnout, but we didn't anticipate it to be as big as it was. But we yeah. knew that people were galvanizing them yeah. because 
people were in shock. People in people's offices were crying. You know, like it was, my children woke up in the morning and when I told them who was elected president, they cried. (laughs) And they were just little little tiddlers then. But all through the other events that we created, we never really knew, you know, like... (laughs) We went based on the organizational experience of a lot of the members of Beirut for Social Justice and knowing what had worked in the past. And then we would just go with our instinct <laughs> and then see what happened. And so when we had a couple hundred people turn up to a panel discussion on mm-hmm. the intersection between homophobia and Islamophobia, and they're really engaging right. and discussing, and we had an open mic and people could say what they thought and people were really coming through mm-hmm. with some really... Mm-hmm interesting viewpoints that could really be engaged with. I think the legacy of Beirut for social justice is really taking the risks politically in radical politics that people thought could never happen here, intersectionality in Beirut, or using the word racism, right? Which back in 2015, we were told to be anti-anything or to discuss racism was antagonistic and was not going to work. We have touch and go moments with Beirut for social justice because It can be an unpopular discussion to have when the conversation is really hard and we're talking about things that people don't really want to confront. Mm -hmm. But I think we are actually getting a dialogue started in the community. We're pushing people to think more to the left than would have happened if we had never existed at all. So for us, that risk was well worth it. There's a value in that kind of micro-organizing of conversations and face-to-face especially when people presume that you're like a quote-unquote outside agitator, which I thought was hilarious. The number of people who thought I was coming from somewhere else, (laughs) which, okay, I mean, maybe I originate from another neighborhood in Brooklyn. I mean, how micro do we want to get? Yeah. But I live now up the block. What does it matter? Yeah. Yeah. There is a real chauvinism about Bay Ridge that is a little bizarre. (laughs) Oh, 100%. Can we just say, I mean, there's just like, whoa. Nobody's love (laughs) for the community is more valid than anyone else's. If you're just moved here and you love Bay Ridge and you want to see it thrive in a way that is equitable and safe, glorious in a progressive way, then Mm. you love your community. I'm a transplant from Canarsie, you know, and, but it's still Brooklyn for fuck's sake. And (laughs) I, I was am... in the South Slope, do I dare not say it? I mean, I, I, yeah. I'll always it's a be, condo now, I'm sure. I will always be a badass Brooklyn girl from the hood, but I love Bay Ridge, maybe to a fault sometimes, because yeah. I've often thought I'll live somewhere else, but then I can't really see myself living anywhere else. You've been here for like 20 years, though, right? I've been like, here since my daughter was little, so 15 years almost. Yeah, transplant. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a transplant, but it's, but it's my community, you know? I'm a yeah. transplant from all the way across the Atlantic. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right, yeah, but it's still... I'm more than entitled. You're from Cairo. To be here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, like um, I, I, I like grew up here, and I don't consider myself as being a Bay Ridgeite until around 2015-16, when I just started really loving Bay Ridge. So now you could be proud. I, I want to move here now, even though I'm already right. here. If I, I had did. the choice, I would. I don't want to leave now, and it's. That desire to be here that's more important than whether you're actually here. There are people who are stuck in other countries due to Trump's Muslim ban that are Bay Ridge. They're stuck somewhere else, but they are Bay Ridge. Right. Yemeni families, and they are Bay Ridge. Exactly. And that's the most important thing. The thing is which Bay Ridge we're talking about, Mm -hmm. right? There's a Bay Ridge that in in some people's mind that is- The salty dog. White. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, let's, we can totally say that. <laughs> can we call I now? Mean, Everyone knows. Yeah, yeah totally. I mean, don't have to and whisper. It's, it's, it's white. It's middle class, or attempts to be in an Pretending economy where it's middle class. really difficult to do that, and is anti-immigrant. 
and anti-folks mm-hmm. of color and yep. anti-feminist and yep. anti-LGBTQ. That barrage does exist. It's tiny, I would argue. And that's the barrage that some folks are trying to defend or create. Then there's a different barrage and a different Brooklyn that is not only populated by folks of color, but exists because of folks of color. Mm -hmm. There was an anti-gentrification march that a few of us from Barrage for Social Justice participated in this past August. And one of the things that I spoke about at that march was there are gentrifiers and folks who are trying to rent studio apartments for $2,000 who brag about the restaurants, who brag about the exciting things that are happening in the neighborhood in order to rent out these apartments for very, very high rates that most working class Mm -hmm. folks, let alone working class folks of color, cannot afford, but who are not recognizing that we built that, right? Mm -hmm. Workers... Immigrants who work in those kitchens, who brought in these cultures, who brought in these beautiful practices, we created that. We made that. And we deserve all the credit, not only that, but access to this community that we've built. And so when we're thinking about transplants and people coming from elsewhere, there are people who don't get to be here because they can't afford to be here. Rents are Mm -hmm. insane. And because of racist landlords and so on, which we can't pretend don't exist. And they have all kinds of avenues to exclude people financially so they don't have to be racist explicitly. And folks who are excluded through things like the Muslim ban. When we're talking about who's barriage, the perspective of the person who's trying to defend barriage matters a lot. They just want things to go backward. They they talk about how they miss certain aspects of the community Mm -hmm. from years ago. But what they're talking about maybe is just missing that there were no people of color living in these communities. That's obviously racist, but also it's a kind of nostalgia that needs to be eliminated because it's not about progress and it's not about community and not about people. It's about stasis. And it's just bullshit. <laughs> yeah, and a, mem- I mean, and a memory really, that probably yeah. never existed. That, that never yeah. really yeah. Like, I don't think it's real. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it ever really was here. You have a Bay Ridge here. history book right over there. You- yeah, I <laughs> have. I have. <laughs> how, I, listen to How Bay Ridge Became Bay Ridge yeah. with Henry Stewart, the episode yeah. that we did. But grab the book. It's always been new immigrants coming in and altering it. The idea that you could look at an image of Shore Road from 1900 and then look at 1910 and it's totally different. Mm-hmm. That would never fly today. People really do constantly change in Bayridge, and that's always been what it is. Bayridge might not be for you if you're afraid of that. It might never have been for you. I honestly credit Bayridge for Social Justice for creating a sort of a community nexus that is rare in this city in this moment. I lived in the East Village in Lower East Side in the late 80s and through the 90s until 2000. And that is the last time that I lived in a neighborhood in New York with the kind of social justice left community that I feel in Bay Ridge. And there were huge differences, obviously, between the East Village of the late 80s and 90s, where ACT UP and Queer Nation and Lesbian Avengers and WHAM and a bunch of the initiatives that a bunch of us built, where we were all living around each other and you can spend a few hundred dollars a month and make 25 grand and be fine. But I now go down to the subway stop, wait for the train, and it's not unusual for me to know people from meetings, from a protest, the bars and restaurants and coffee shops that a progressive and left hang out at, the Owl's Head, (laughs) Cocoa Grinder, Gourmet Kitchen. These are our spaces, you know, and that we're creating this. And I feel like Bay Ridge for Social Justice is a part of having 
facilitated that. Absolutely. I think also Bay Ridge is becoming far more queer than it's ever been before. Yeah. And I think part of it is probably because all the all the lesbians three queer sit here and chat. Yes, we're taking over. This is the queer. This is the queer sofa right here. Um, but also the fact that all the lesbians are priced out of Park Slope and moving out of Bay Ridge. But I'm always in the presence of in the street, same sex couples holding hands, transgender folks everywhere. Mm. Like when I first came out in uh, 2012 and I remember feeling like I was in a wasteland like there was nobody here I was my children attended school and all the parents and families there were completely straight and I was on my own you know and we moved in. looking for <laughs> looking for community and then for the first time seeing two women kissing on the corner of 79th and 3rd Avenue I thought I would fall over <laughs> like I was so happy and shocked and surprised and just overjoyed at being able to say like, okay, like I can find that there's like a little like glisten of like hope in the darkness of having people who are like me here that I can be in queer spaces. I, mm -hmm. I think there needs to be, I mean, my main goal in the, in the world is to create a gay bar in Bay Ridge. I will help out. <laughs> <laughs> you just get me on here. We could talk Please. about like queer spaces, no. building Heck queer spaces yes. in Bay Ridge. Maybe we need Another to queer night at the house head. I think I we should do it. Yeah, I think yeah, we need 100%. Queer, but I mean, I feel really like there needs it. to be a dedicated space. There needs to be a space. dedicated space. Just because I'm seeing mm, more and more how young people. people are really embracing their gender and sexuality. And okay, it's a so whole more. new generation of young people who are completely understanding themselves in a different way, in a non-binary way, in a queer way. Is there a bar or not at this queer space, for Christ's sake? There's a bar. <laughs> okay. There'll be a bar. There's always a bar. Can we have a bar optional? Maybe the hours. <laughs> I want to make the bar. I want to make the bar. See, maybe this podcast is I'm inspire the... I'm going to retire. I've been talking about this for years. Where have you been, Sherry? Hearing all these ideas, it's like there's so many more places for activist groups to go in this neighborhood. Yeah. Like, this is the beginning. Like, there needs to be something about Black Bay Ridge, which is almost absent right. and yeah. almost That's right. invisible. That's right. There needs to be a connection. Just talking this last weekend at the MLK thing with Paula, Paula. and a couple of the others who were there, my own wife, who was sort of like, where are the Black people? Because here we are in a borough that has a huge African-American, yeah. huge Black Caribbean and, you know, other population, but this neighborhood does not. But it's also important to recognize that there are some Black folks who exactly. do live in the neighborhood. Oh, yeah. And there, Latinx and, there is, and so much that's ignored. Right. And folks who have been here for a really long time, a really long time, would be worth learning about like how many folks got pushed out altogether. Mm -hmm. I think when we're thinking also about folks who are coming into the neighborhood and so on, I think a lot of the Arab American population is having to be pushed out because mm -hmm. of gentrification, because of mm -hmm. the rise in rents. And I'm in full support of a dynamic barrage. But I also just want to recognize that the way that New York City is dynamic right now is just displacing <laughs> folks of color. Yes. On yeah, exactly. Like that's what's happening everywhere. Further and, further mm -hmm. and so that's something that should frame the way that we think about these fluctuations and also just recognizing the really hard struggle that folks in Sunset Park are going through right now against rezoning and mm -hmm. the displacement that primarily a Latinx and Chinese community are going to be displaced and the way that that will bring the developers even closer to us. It's something to think about. But I wanted to say in general, I feel like the folks who make us feel like we're behind enemy lines, I think are on their back <laughs> foot for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think they're small. Mm. I think that we're winning ideologically and we being the left in the neighborhood mm -hmm. in general. Yep. I would argue that I've seen like leftward shift 
in general in the neighborhood politically that's been really exciting that manifests in different ways, like electoral politics haven't mm -hmm. shifted incredibly dramatically, but folks have moved to the left a lot. And I have a lot of respect for all the groups that exist, particularly the recent response to the Nazis by um, mm. primarily Fight Back Bridge. I couldn't be more grateful for that and the importance of that work, especially that work being done by white folks in the neighborhood is an important thing. I'm really inspired by the work that Barriers for Social Justice has done, but I think it's worth thinking about the things that we could be doing better and that perhaps a whole other hour that we could spend talking about that. There are so many lessons that we could have learned. You were talking about what it felt like to have 400 people get into yeah. the room. Mm. It was incredibly exciting, but also we didn't know what to do with yeah. it. Right? It was overwhelming. What do we do with these people? How do we organize them? How do we continue to engage them? How do we train them? Like we tried and we succeeded in lots of ways and we continue to be in a sort <laughs> of some relationship. We, we failed in lots of ways, yeah. We really did, yeah. And we continue to build relationships with folks and the last MLK event is a good, strong testament to that. And we've also had an impact outside of the borders and neighborhood in a lot of ways. So we've taken whole groups of people out of the neighborhood to things like the Reclaim Pride March, Queers Against Islamophobia, that was amazing. We've taken folks out for climate, Black Lives Matter, against gentrification, militarism, and so on. But I think we have so much to figure out. Yeah. It turns out it's really tricky to keep up a group. <laughs> it turns out it's really tricky to keep 400, 500 people engaged. Yep. <laughs> it turns out it's really tricky to figure out a campaign and stick mm -hmm. with it and succeed in winning around it. It turns out that election season Mm -hmm. is really hard for grassroots activism because everybody right. wants to campaign. Yeah. What does yeah. that mean for us? For us, it means, it means desertion <laughs> I mean, in some senses. Yes. I mean, it, it gets really super difficult. Yes. It turns out that immigrant defense is a fantastic aspiration, but a really difficult thing, thing to, to organize, organize. Right. effectively and yeah. to keep people engaged around. It turns out police presence Fucking FBI presence, which we haven't even gotten into, the FBI that's mm -hmm. constantly yep. targeting the Muslim community that is surveilling the Muslim community along with the NYPD, et cetera. It turns out that that's something that exists that is really hard to figure out how to fight. And also it turns out Barriers for Social Justice is a mostly white group in a neighborhood that we shouldn't think of as a white neighborhood. And finally, Barriers just fucking segregated. When I was talking about knowing Barriers one way and then moving here and seeing that there is another part to it, mm -hmm. it's because of how segregated Barriers right. is. Mm -hmm. right. It's super segregated along ethnic lines. And it has a lot to do with why things are the way they are and has a lot to do with why rents look the way they look. It facilitates that process of displacement. These are things that as activists we should be thinking about, as socialists we should be thinking about, that represent really very serious challenges for us. And so, like, if you're listening and you want to help figure that out, please <laughs> come that. around. Like, yeah, we need people up. to organize yeah. with us. And we need people to come in recognizing that we don't have all the answers to figuring this out and to work with us around yeah. that. Yeah, co-conspirators. That has been a very organic experience for most of us. We've had mm. no set plans. And we're so open in terms of listening to one another. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about working with Barriers for Social Justice that I've found is that you really begin to expand your ideas through discussion and we're not just relying on the electoral politics mm -hmm. to sort of pull us up and we try to learn from the mistakes that we've made. And part of our mission, I think, though it hasn't been explicitly stated, has been to reach out into other communities and start building bridges with other groups like Equality for Flatbush, Occupy Kensington, mm -hmm. Love Trump's Hate Sunset right. Park. Atlas DIY, different groups in different communities that are sort of either adjacent or working on similar ideas as we are, right. to learn from our comrades in other communities 
who are doing anti-racist, anti-Islamophobic, anti-ICE, anti-police, anti-gentrification, anti-anti-anti. I'm going to yeah. use that word a lot, and I'm going to be they very confrontational about it. They told me I couldn't, but I'm going to. We are really trying to build bridges between communities and working towards something that is bigger than just us. Yep. Because other people are fighting the same fight we're fighting. If anyone listening was wanting to just shout into their podcasting device Ooh. and wanted to join into the conversation, this is a great example of Bay Ridge for social justice meetings. And they're always incredibly respectful, incredibly fluid, and incredibly challenging. If that's something that appeals to you, this is the place to go. So how does someone find Bayridge for Social Justice other than well, this podcast? we are on Facebook. <laughs> In addition, if you have questions, <laughs> um, you can always send us an email at bayridgeforsocialjustice at gmail.com. And yeah. we respond to that. Or send us a direct message through Facebook. So to everyone listening, get involved. Bayridge for Social Justice is going to have a general meeting this February. Check out RadioFreeBayRidge.org, our show notes, or RadioFreeBR on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram. We will let you know when the next Bayridge for Social Justice general meeting is coming up. And also the MLK March, which was a forum this year, is actually going to have the March part in May. <laughs> so keep an eye out for that. And thank you, everyone, for coming out. This was an amazing conversation, and I can't wait for more of our neighbors to have it in person when they join Bayridge for Social Justice. Need comrades? You'll get comrades. Thank you thank so you. much thank for you, coming Dan. out. Thank this you, was Dan. awesome. And until next time, everybody, stay free, Bayridge. Ridge.